Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Greatest Games on the Blizzard. My name is Marcus Speller, with me of course is Jonathan Wilson, and with us today is Mark Langdon. Mark is the head of content at The Racing Post, contributor to TalkSport Football Weekly, and many, many others. Mark, a pleasure to have you in the pod today. It's a pleasure to be here, really looking forward to it. Well Mark, today we go back to the Champions League 2003-2004 edition to the quarter-final second leg between Deportivo La Coruña and AC Milan. It ended 4-0 to Deportivo, and of course they went through 5-4 on aggregate. Mark, why have you chosen this game? Yeah, I think there's three reasons really why I've chosen this game. First of all is I absolutely love the Champions League knockout stages, and I, I say that with a, it's slightly with a heavy heart because I understand the sort of bad that it does um, to the footballing world, really, you know, that the, the elite leagues just dominate it so much now. And I, there is a bit of guilt as I sit there and, and watch, you know, brilliant game after brilliant game. So I always, when I was asked to do this, it always had to be, I think, a Champions League uh, game and the knockout stages Um it just mesmerises me, really. Um, it's just brilliant. And mm-hmm. I love an underdog story. And, and I think that, that Depor, although not a complete underdog, because they had won the, the Spanish League, still, in sort of relative terms, were you know one of the smaller um, sort of names, even if, if their kind of results were probably better than um, you, you'd expect for a team like um, Depor. And I, I just remember them sort of playing some English teams sort of off the pitch, uh, Manchester United and Arsenal. So mm. Depor kind of were my Spanish team, I think. It was around about that time when uh, Sky first came into um, Spanish football. Depor were, you couldn't support Real Madrid or Barcelona. And Depor were sort of up there, um, but not one of them two. So that that was so they they held a special place in my heart and I also think that they played a, almost like a British style at times where they get the ball down the wings and put crosses into a target man center forward. So it didn't feel like quite so foreign um as much as what what you might expect. So it it was more really just about the fact of this was like the crowning glory for for that Depor team, I think, really. Mm. Of course, we would enjoy some of those players, very much so in England, uh, years later. Albert Luque, you think, Diego Tristan, Walter Pandiani. I mean, what, what, what times they had in England, you know. But it's, <laughs> but it's easy to forget what, what brilliant players they were and how much they contributed to that uh, Deportivo side. Uh, Jonathan. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. No, no, Jonathan, I was just going to say that uh, when, when, you see this, when you see this result, one can, can forget what a outstanding achievement and result this was for Deportivo. Oh, yeah. I mean, the the first leg, which I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about that in, in a bit more detail as well. Mm-hmm. But, the, you know, the first leg I finished 4-1, and it, it probably wasn't really a 4-1 game. Depot being a bit closer than that. But you sort of thought, well, it, it's over. Because teams didn't... teams No team had ever overcome a three-goal deficit from the first leg in the Champions League at that point. Mm. And and I know the last two or three years it's it happens every week it seems but back then it just did not happen mm. and it certainly didn't happen to that Milan yeah, that Milan were the, the defending champions um, and they they had that yeah you, I mean you look at the team it's a ridiculous team it's sort of okay maybe you'd say Pancaro at left back is is not a player who who sort of whose name resonates now but the rest of the team. Is is preposterous, you know. That I mean, he's got Mal- he's got Maldini mopping up for him, you know. So well, but, yeah, but I mean that, that that midfield of Pirlo, Gattuso, Sadov, and, and Kaká is mm. 
It's just, it, you know, that was when Serie A was still absolutely its peak, where the best players in the world still played in Serie A. And mm-hmm. one of the things that really struck me about that first leg, and it's a tiny thing, and maybe it's a subjective thing, but the noise when mm. Milan scores. Yeah, it's a that got me as well. It's a particularly Italian roar. I don't know, it's mm-hmm. di- it was different. I don't, I don't know if it's the fans, I don't know if it's the way the stadium is, I don't know if it's the way the microphones were, the way it was edited, I don't know. But there was a specific roar that we got used to from Italian coverage on, on, on Channel 4. And that's certainly to people of my generation, uh, that that signified something that was classier and better than, than what we knew. <laughs> and so the thought that the depot, this, you know, this sort of, I mean, third, fourth, fifth team in Spain at the time, um, the fact, thought that they could somehow overcome this, it just, I mean, I sort of remember watching this very idly, sort of thinking, well, I suppose we should keep up with this. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly, kind of, be, hang on, they're going to do this, and it yeah. was such an incredible, yeah, it was incredible in a way that, that it's quite hard to explain now. I think. Yeah, uh, yeah, go on, Mark. No, I was, I was just going to say. I mean, they, they'd nearly done it <clears throat> previously against Leeds. They, they, the Depor had fallen. Uh, they were absolutely battered at uh, Ellen Road. Um, I, I think they just crumbled really. And when they were favourites, they were expected to beat Leeds mm-hmm. in that Champions League quarter final, and. Um, they didn't lost that three nil at Ellen Road. They nearly produced a comeback then, um, albeit against a you know an inexperienced team. They, they got it back to three two and probably um, you know had enough chances I think to to have at least taken it to extra time. So they they kind of given a little hint as to what was possible. But I think as Jonathan was saying, there's a big difference between you know nearly doing it against Leeds to being able to do it against that that Milan side that um, all of the names that Jonathan mentioned plus. I mean, Rui Costa was on the bench. The bench is uh, ridiculous. Just, yeah. yeah, yeah, just it was stupid. But, yeah. And you, you look back, was it three or four years before this when they had, it, it, albeit in, in, in the same game, it wasn't the second leg, uh, they'd come from 3-0 down to beat PSG when Pandiani scored a hat-trick. So they, they had that in them. And I, I think the other thing that's relevant both to the Leeds game and, and, and to this season, they were much, certainly this by this season, they were a much, much better team at home than they were away. So the 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 Riazor and the atmosphere there clearly made a huge difference. So if you look at their group games this season, they they won all three group games without conceding a goal. But in the group stage, they've been beaten eight three away oh, to Monaco just, when Dada yeah. Fischer got got the four goals. But I think there was it one point they took away from home. So yeah, I, I guess if, in in retrospect, you can see it was set up for this because they were so much better at home than they were away. Yeah, I mean the old expression, uh, Jonathan. You could get at them certainly uh, <laughs> uh, applied, but I mean they, they, you're absolutely right to point out the group stuff. You know they went through second behind Monaco, um, but they only went through on the head to head with with PSV Eindhoven. They both finished on ten points. But if you look at the records, you know Monaco topped the group with eleven points, only one point above Deportivo, scored fifteen, uh, conceded six. You know, plus nine goal difference. You know they'd be very happy with that. You know, you look around the other groups, I mean, just to pluck one, Arsenal, they finished with 10 points, the same as uh, Deportivo. Uh, Goals scored nine, goals against six, you know, a goal difference of plus three. Deportivo, because of that eight goals there, they went through with 10 points, goals for 12, goals against 12. You know, seldom do you see somebody who, or a team that goes through with a zero or or negative goal difference. Well, letting in two goals a game. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Okay, eight of them have come in one game, but still, you know, you, you, you don't yeah. go through letting in two goals a game. 
Mm. Well, they, they conceded three against a, a, a PSV Eindhoven, you know. So, they, like I say, you know, AK Athens had scored against them. So, this was a kind of, a, I mean, maybe that goes back to your, your point, Mark, when you said a, a more sort of British style, especially when you think of the the comebacks that, you know, you've, you've mentioned there, you know, nearly against Leeds, you know, PSG, of course, the one we're talking about today. Uh, I think British teams... And this might be me thinking, you know, with my union flag spectacles, perhaps. But I always think that kind of, you know, I think of the likes of even even McLaren's Middlesbrough. You know, like the British teams, they never know when they were beaten. And they would often come, you know, they'd crash bang wallop teams and try and come back. Whereas, you know, Spanish, Italian teams would think, let's control the game earlier than that. That might be a better way of playing football, which, you know, one could certainly argue it was. But maybe that is that feeding into this sort of narrative, what you were saying, Mark? I, I I do. I also feel like British teams kind of just keep going. Um, yeah, that yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of sort of cliched. Uh, tra- <laughs> I mean, I, I suppose you you might think that some would just say that's stupid. You know, like <laughs> save your energy for a game that you can win next week. Um, and and the, I mean, it probably isn't so because you know you got that Barcelona comeback against Paris Saint Germain, and of course, um, yeah. it, it generally you know, it, it can happen. But it feels it feels like a, a British kind of trait, really. To to you know to um, to never give up and, mm. and and all of those kind of um, things really and I mean the weather um, in Galicia was sort of quite British as well really and mm. there's a brilliant story about when um, Deport sort of first started bringing over Brazilian players and had a bit of a reputation for for doing so because Mauro Silva, Bebeto, Rivaldo, Jalminia, um, absolute genius of, of a footballer um, and and the the story goes that the president persuaded Mauro Silva and Bebeto that the weather um, in, in Spain was exactly like it was um, in Brazil and that's why he persuaded them to come over and of course that may well be true if you're in Sevilla um, <laughs> not quite so true if you're right in the north of the country so um, that they, they had that kind of it was definitely sort of um, an unspanishness to them I think in, in some regards um, mm-hmm. just you know kind of the what you'd expect of sort of a cliche Spanish team um, because of the way they played. It was quite aggressive and it was quite um, quick and, and sort of direct. If you look at the goals that they score in in, in this game against Milan, um, you know, it, it is crosses and long balls and, and stuff like that. So they weren't afraid to mix it up, even though they did have, um, you know, some absolute geniuses in playmaking positions with Jalminia and then Valeron mm. and, and, you know, Rivaldo as well. But I think that probably comes to Miraveto, doesn't it? Because Miraveto... Uh, you know, he's he you know he is Basque. There's there's that you know all the links between Basque football and and English football, um, and then you know he played for for Atletico in in '74. So they were kind of quite an aggressive, quite a physical team. So you know I think it all comes from him. But I, I also think that they're tactically quite innovative. In that I think they were one of the first teams to pioneer the four-two-three-one. I mean, by this stage, I th- you know it had spread. I think you know. By the Euros in two thousand, the forty-three-one was becoming much more common, but I, I think Iravet is one of the first people to to do that. And you know, when they they win the league in two thousand, playing like that, and I, I remember an interview with with Alex Ferguson uh, after that, after those games where Depor totally outplayed United, and he said, and I remember it's a phrase that stuck with me is the thing they've done, they've brought dribbling back, mm-hmm. and and I think what he meant by that was by by playing the forty-three-one, by playing with the two holders in midfield. It meant that the wide men could be a little bit more like traditional wingers. They could, and by traditional, I mean sort of fifty-style wingers. They could be more dribblers rather than having to, you know, do all the work to cover the fullback and 
play as you would play as a wide midfielder in a four four two. That the Iveretto had found a way uh, to 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 get that dribbling type of player to relieve him of some defensive responsibility by fielding the the, the two deep lying central midfielders who who in this game are, are Mauro Silva and Sergio. Lowe. Um, uh, Donato, I guess, was the, the the classic player they had in that role. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as they progressed through the tournament, I mean, they 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 played uh, Juventus in the um, in the round of sixteen, was it? And having said that about conceding goals and 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 being a little bit uh, uh, swashbuckling, uh, they they beat Juventus two uh, 0 on aggregate, one nil over both legs, which showed Mark that they had a little bit. A bit more in their locker, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, the year before, there were three Serie A teams in the, the semi-finals. It was obviously um, Milan beat Juve in not the most memorable of Champions League finals, and Milan had beaten Inter in, in the semi-finals. So, um, to, to to manage to knock out Juve and Milan was, you know, some effort from, as Jonathan says, you know, maybe the third or fourth sort of team in, in Spain. And going into that that game, because I, I did check back on their, their sort of road record, in the, the previous eight Champions League away matches, they'd lost six and drawn two and conceded 21 goals <laughs> when they were heading to Turin. So the idea that they could sort of hold on to this 1-0 lead, I think, was pretty fanciful. Juve had, and, and this sometimes does happen for sort of, you know, an outsider that goes far in a competition, um, they probably played Juve at the right time. Juve were missing a few, and then Del Piero uh, went off injured quite early on in the game as well, which maybe just derailed them um, slightly. Um, and then if you go just fast forward to the end of um, that year, I remember um, you know because we we had a really it was an underdog semi final, wasn't it, with Chelsea and Monaco and and, and mm-hmm. Depor and Porto, and then Greece won. Um, the Euros and yeah. just piece after piece of how football was changing and you know what was it that these underdogs were doing um, so, so different. I mean, turned out there was absolutely nothing. It was just a freak <laughs> year, and it would soon all kind of come back to, to normality. But we can enjoy it while it lasted. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a great uh, year. Obviously, right? It was a great Deportivo side, though. As you touched upon, I mean, what. The, the, one of the players that really stands out, Jonathan, is, is, is Valeron playing in the centre of midfield. I mean, what a player he was. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, a sort of classic number 10, really elegant, stroked it around. Uh, stayed at the club forever. I mean, he, he was mm-hmm. still there sort of when when they... Was he there when they got relegated? I think he was, wasn't he? Age 38 or something. He was. Yeah. Um, he, played, he got them back up. Yeah. He, he stayed and got <laughs> them back up. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, he was a player who... I mean, the modern game would have no... No play. I mean, maybe he goes to like Everton or West Ham and do a Hamas Rodriguez, but he wouldn't be playing for uh, a mm-hmm. super club now. Um, and he probably wouldn't. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe a depot equivalent would still find a role for him. And I, I, I you know, when you look back, you, you see him at depot here, and you, you see Riquelme at, at uh, Villarreal two mm-hmm. years later in the semi final, and that probably is the, the last hurrah for the sort of. That old-fashioned languid number ten at the yeah you know, at the semi-final stage of the Champions League. Yeah, well, give Jack Grealish a chance, Jonathan. You never <laughs> no, know. But, you no, do... but, 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 <laughs> no, I know. I don't, Grealish yeah. is much more dynamic. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you wouldn't you wouldn't get cars like that on Valeron. Yeah, <laughs> it's very true. It's very true. All right, gentlemen, let's uh, let's have a quick break, and then we will talk about the match itself. 
Welcome back to uh, Greatest Games on the Blizzard, everybody. Yes, Deportivo against Milan. So, well, let's mention the first leg for crying out loud because that is uh, a, a crucial part of, well, it's a crucial part of any two-legged affair, but particularly this one. Uh, it was at the San Siro. And uh, and I know what you mean, Jonathan, when the fans make that roar. I mean, I suspect that's something to do with the fact that they don't shout, yeah, when they score. It's more of a goal kind of sound like they do in Spain. So that could contribute it. But I know what you mean, that Milan, the San Siro was such a fortress uh, back in those days. And... When you you know when you see the fans slightly higher, you know the 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 stands are slightly above it. It's like they're bearing down on on you. A very intimidating place to go. However, Mark Deportivo did go a goal up in that game. They did, yeah. Um, Pandiani put them in in front, and I, I think with Santiro is one of the the more sort of atmospheric um, mm-hmm. grounds in Italy. But I think it's the way they'll rush forward towards yeah, the yeah, goal yeah. as well after after the um, you know after it goes in um, that that really sort of makes it stand out. Really, there is that room to kind of move forward, and you get like in Germany, people love the atmosphere in Germany, but it's just it's constant that beat, that constant beat. You don't get that roar when there's then a goal, that anticipation, and then. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, you know, Pandiani put um, Depor in front, and um, I think that they would have been more than happy you know, going into half time. Probably what happened in the game before against Juventus had given them a lot of confidence and belief that if you can go to Juve and kind of keep clean sheets against them, then you can, um, you know, you, you can do that. Um, against Milan, even though we've already mentioned about sort of the, the quality that the, was there, but then they were absolutely blown away in in a ten minute mm. spell where uh, all of those stars, you know, <laughs> Shevchenko, Kaka, uh, and Pirlo, they, they scored brilliant goals. Mm. I, I'm not even sure you could have done, even though they were a bit flaky defensively. I don't think there was much they could have done about those goals. It was just individual brilliance that seemingly took the tie away from them. Yeah, that's. That's it, Jonathan. I think that you know they went one 0 up, and it was kind of like, hang on a minute, this is this is the San Siro. We're AC Milan, and as Mark says, the goals are brilliant. They just blitz them, and four one. It's like, well, that's the end of that then. Yeah, I mean the the the, the fact that the goal came down, the Depot's goal came down their left. I think becomes significant mm-hmm. in the second leg, where the you know, Luke particularly really gets a cafu. Which is not a phrase that makes a huge amount of sense. <laughs> <laughs> and You're, you just hate Luke Gaines. Did he score against Sunderland? Did he score? Did, was, I mean, most people have. I, I don't remember yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. It's a safe um, bet. I feel, I feel like he did in one of those. It might have been one of his rare, brightest <laughs> moments at Newcastle. Um, <laughs> just, just to be clear, not me who brought up Sunderland there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, it's, it's you know, it's Captivia who puts in the cross. Who ends up not playing in the second leg. So whether there was a weakness there on the defensively on the Milan right, I'm not sure. But yeah, the the four goals. So uh, it's 11, 11 minutes in when Pandiani scores, and then it's the last minute of the first half. Cafu gets four down the right, puts in the cross, and the touch from Kakar on his thigh yeah. just sort of cushions it into his stride for the volley. It's just sensational. Yeah, I think it's really easy to forget how good Kakar was. Oh, he's a wonderful player. Wonderful, wonderful. One of my favourites of all time. He, he, you, we've been talking about um, about Valeron. As sort of the the old fashioned number ten, I think mm. Kakar is one of the the first of the the, the, the new style number tens where yeah. they have all the ability, all the goal scoring now, all the passing range, but they also have that dynamism, that power, mm. and, and you, you really see that in this game. That that that's a great goal, and then Shevchenko first minute of the second half, and there's a great camera shot from sort of 
around, I guess it's sort of slightly down the touchline from the halfway line. So it's right behind him. And you see two things. First of all, three things, I guess. First of all, his his ass is enormous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You think yeah, of him yeah. as being quite a quite a sort of slight wimey player, but mm. he's really sort of muscly around the middle. Yeah. Oh, it's Branislav Ivanovic esque, Jonathan. Well, I mean, let, let's not go crazy, but uh, <laughs> but the, um, the then the balance he has, so because he goes left and then goes right, and that balance, mm. you know, is, is is what throws uh, the the defender. Is it George Andrade? Uh, I think it must be. Possibly throws him completely to create the space, and then the, the finish in the bottom corner is just a brilliant finish. And again, you know, I, I think Shevchenko is one of those players who, because of because of what happens in the final in 2005, because of what happens when he goes to Chelsea, it's quite easy for, for those of us who, who tend to watch Premier League football to sort of forget just how phenomenal oh. a footballer he was. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. that's a, just an unbelievable forwards goal. And then Kaká scores again with a great finish from the edge of the box and then a PLO free kick. And so having been one up after 45 minutes, they're 4-1 down at 53. Yeah, and it seems to be all over. I mean, you said yourself, Jonathan, or, or Mark, what you, you said, well... Should I have much of an interest in the second leg, or you should keep one eye on it? But we go to Spain for that second leg. Um, you know, realistically, I don't think many Deportivo fans. I mean, they might sell a few porky pies now, but I realistically, I don't think they probably thought they had much of a chance. But they started very, very strongly and very, very, very quickly. Mark. Yeah, I, and I, I think. Uh, you, you normally need that, don't you? If you're if you are kind of the smaller team, you mm-hmm. need to be able to give yourself um, an early goal. To I mean, it feels a bit cliche to say it, but the early goal does kind of mm-hmm. give you that that hope. And I, I think Depot would have always sort of fancied themselves to have got sort of the goals they needed um, to have got themselves back into the game, but they probably didn't fancy their chances of being able to chase a game and keep out sort of such high quality opposition that had already um, destroyed them once. So yeah, Pandiani got the um, a, a very early goal and the Rizor was absolutely jumping at, at this stage. They, the, the locals can sense an upset. And then, you know, it, there's the Valeron goal, the header, um, probably didn't score too many headers, but the, the Valeron <laughs> header went from a mistake from Dida that kind of, I think, just makes the big team there, and in this case Milan, panic um, because they can they can kind of feel like they've lost control um, of, of the situation. But Mark, would you on that first goal with Pandiani? And by the way, I think Thomason has an effort before that. You know, and that that goal happens. You know, five minutes in, so it's not like Milan are playing sort of too badly. You know, and they've still you know they, they've you know we're only a few minutes old. But Pandiani, Maldini's behind him, gives him quite a lot of space. For that goal, yeah, he does. Um, he probably, I mean, it, it was sort of a, felt like it is this kind of area though where you you wouldn't necessarily, I suppose, fancy Pagnani to necessarily score from. Mm-hmm. I mean, it didn't feel like um, yeah, he's he's not going to sort of run you. So I suppose in from that sense, you you would expect Maldini to have been tighter. Um, maybe they were just a bit lax because mm. I mean Nesta makes a mistake for one of the other goals as well. So I mean it, it might have just been a, a slightly just off night from sort of you know collection of superstars. No, I, I, I think I think I think laxity is exactly the word because the the cross comes in from uh, Enrico Romero who's replaced Captivier at left back and Maldini if you, he actually starts to go to intercept the cross and then must decide he's not going to quite get there and he checks himself and it's because his balance is wrong 
That's why when Dalavon takes a touch and his touch takes him slightly away, that's why that space opens up. Because Maldini, whether it's a misjudgment he couldn't get the cross or whether it's a misjudgment to think he, he then wasn't going to get there having started to go for it, it it it, it, it is a Maldini error that, that gives Valeron the uh, sorry gives um, Pandiani the space, uh, and then even even before the second goal, there's the Victor chance which is deflected onto the onto the posts. I mean they had mm. they were creating chances, but, and then Kaká has a one on one as well before the before the second <laughs> goal, where Molina yeah. does really well to having seemingly been beaten by Kaká recovers to to block it, um, but then yeah it's a deed a mistake the. Really bad mistake. I mean, he made a couple of very good saves later on, but it's a really bad mistake for him to to misjudge another cross from the left from from Luke. Yeah, I mean, when that you have the first goal, and then when they hit the post, I mean, it's never going in. But that's the kind of little chance, you know, because when the that's for me, you can hear the crowd then when they they get the goal, they have another chance, and they go, "Hang on a minute, hang on a minute here." There's that feeling that's 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 creeping in the stadium. And if you've ever been there, and I have, Craven Cottage Four One Juventus, we've done it on this, <laughs> we've done it on this podcast before. You suddenly the the air changes, and you get a bit of a sniff. And not long after that, you mentioned it, the second goal comes, and it is a little bit of an error, uh, to say the least, from the goalkeeper, and Valeron heads into the empty net. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Dida. I mean, I suppose you could say um, most goalkeepers have got a mistake in them um, mm. and, and people will, again, I suppose um, he kind of made a couple of high-profile errors um, in, in his time. But, I mean, I think overall he was a, you know, he, he, I don't think he would have necessarily had him down as a, a dodgy keeper, but he, he misjudges um, that the, across and it allows Valeron, to, you know, the simple task of heading um, in, in, into you know virtually an un, unguarded net, so um, I, I think what John Fulham was saying there about you know Maldini's made the error for the first goal, then you've made an error for the second goal. You you probably do start to worry at that point. I think if if you're Milan and you know from Depor's point of view, I mean so many of them players had been at the club for so long, it felt like sort of their moment. You know, like Manuel Pablo was he there for about twenty years? That balding right back that used to sort of, you know, there, there, there were loads of players like that. Fran, who we'll get onto, who scored the default goal. Just loads of players just there for felt like forever. Mm. And I'm not really one for sort of destiny and stuff like that, but um, it, it did feel like you know this was, um, and it was almost the beginning of the end for them, wasn't it? Because they never quite reached those heights again, really. But it just felt like. This was their night, sort of all all come coming together. I think. Yeah, and with hindsight, if you look at look at Milan, I mean, again, this is obviously we're saying this from a perspective where we know what happened to them in two thousand and five against Liverpool, and you but you do wonder. Ancelotti is a manager. He's not somebody who's going to be. Yeah, intensity is not his strength, right? He has many other strengths, and in in a sense, what you know, a lack of intensity is a strength. It relaxes people. But where I think that can be problematic is when a game appears won, such as when you're three goals up going into a second leg or three <laughs> goals up going into a second uh-huh. half. And maybe just that, that lack of being switched on in that first five minutes and then conceding the goal off the back of it, maybe that's just enough to unsettle everything. Mm-hmm. Well, I find, it, I find it extraordinary that when I was looking back at this game, sort of off the back of your point there, Jonathan, is that I thought the way I remembered it was, you know, if you need to win by four goals or something like that, three goals, you've got to score early. They scored early and you've got to score late. 
And in between times, you have to have them nicely spaced out because you, you, you don't want to rush ahead too early. We, we, we see that and you give the opposition time to come back or you, or they, or, or you have time to be become quite nervous and, and you're not sure about sitting on a four-goal advantage or something. But Luque makes it 3-0. I forgot Deportivo were 3-0 up at half-time. Milan had time to come no, they, back they, in they this They had game. a second half with... Yeah. Where they, they, you know, they could have got the away goal, which mm. would have been crucial. Uh, in the Luque goal um, is a, is a terrible mistake from Nesta. Just misjudges the bouncing ball and gets muscled off it by Luque, who then finishes it brilliantly. Mm. Um, but but yeah, you're right. That at half time, you you'd have thought you should you should be able to to as Milan manager to say or Milan captain or whoever in that dressing room say, "Come on, this is a level mm. game now. Yep. We're Milan. Yep. Look at us." <laughs> He's Kaká. Kaká or Valeron? Who, who's better? Uh, Manuel Pablo or Cafu? Who's better? Yeah, come on. Mm. Let's just go out and win the second half 1-0. Ah. Well, but, but also from Deportivo's point of view, Mark, is that, that they're in a position now that, as I say, they've not scored. Because, again, the ideal situation is you score the clincher late on. So you don't have time to get nervous. You, do, you Time to throw everybody behind the ball and you see it out. They've got a whole second half where actually they're in the driving seat. On away goals, they're going through. Yeah, and I mean, given that, that Milan brought on Rui Costa and Pippo Inzaghi, they controlled it relatively well. I mean, I've, there was maybe one chance. There's a Thomas, the Thomason half. chance about yeah. five, five, six minutes in the second half. And then there's a Rui Costa chance right at the end. But you're right, in between that, there's very, very little. Well, there's, Rui Costa has an effort for about 25 yards, but Inzaghi has a chance where he's got a bit of space in the box, which would have, that was quite late on, and that would have made it 4 1, so it could have gone into extra time. But, but yes, you're absolutely right, there wasn't much. No, I, I mean, it was a, despite being quite, a, I suppose, sort of small team, relatively speaking, um, it was one that had a lot of experience within it. I've already mentioned about the fact that, you know, a lot of these players had been around for a long time. Somebody like Nabet, um, you know, spent a long time um, in, in La Coruña. You had Mauro Silva, who'd you know, won, won a World Cup. Um, so it wasn't, I suppose they, they weren't they weren't necessarily a team that, that should get nervous now if you look back on it and sort of look at the the, the mm. list of, of players it wasn't sort of some sort of a team of 19 20 year olds that had, you know that had come up from and just been plucked from all, all around Europe or whatever and um, you know hadn't won anything you know this was a team that had won um, La Liga in 2000 they beat Real Madrid um, in a, a Copa del Rey final that um, still doesn't sit very well with, with Real Madrid supporters because it was the centenary um, year. So they, they were, they, they, despite being a small team, that they were an experienced team and that probably helped them in this game, yeah. Mm. Uh, the fourth goal ar- arrives on 75 minutes, which, I mean, my lad still had 15 minutes to get a goal and take it to extra time. But, it, I mean, it's a fortuitous one, Jonathan. But at that point, it was kind of like Deportivo were like, here we go, we're, we're, we're surely going through to the second round. Well, you say for uh, the, the next I, round, sorry. I, 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 I know what you mean, but so there's a there's a cross from the right which goes over everybody, mm-hmm. and then um, uh, Fran, who's who's come on for Luke to sort mm-hmm. of show up at the left hand side, and Fran, even I mean I don't know what age he was then, but he, he felt ancient. Yeah. Um, and, and he sort of just he goes past Gattuso far far too easily. You know, mm-hmm. again, it's this sort of laxity, it's this lack of snap. 
which Gattuso of all people. I mean, the definition of, of snap. <laughs> and and then Cafu is a little bit slow. I mean, I guess he's probably expecting Gattuso to make the challenge. Cafu's a little bit slow to kind of close him down. So that when Fran has the shot, it, it deflects off Cafu rather than being blocked by Cafu. And it goes in because of a deflection. So, yeah, it's fortuitous in the sense that it was deflected. But it's also a goal where Milan had two opportunities to, to oh. stop stop the stop the chance even even you know, even generating. So I don't know. I mean, it, it's always dangerous when you just watch highlights of games that uh, you see things out of context. And it may be Gattuso had made a hundred challenges in the previous ten minutes and was exhausted, but taken out of context, it looks really bad from him, and it looks really bad from Cafu, and that means all four goals. Milan have in some way been responsible for. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's, it, it puts them for, And it's, it's neater, right? It's neater that they go 4 up on the night rather than relying on away goals. It feels proper, realer. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they would have been disappointed had they only won 3 0. <laughs> <laughs> you saw how, how Tottenham were devastated to do that against Ajax. <laughs> I think I think I think Roma never quite recovered from, no. from beating Barcelona away goals. Uh, it could not. really ruin a good night. Um, <laughs> but but no, the the oddity then is that um, I, I suppose all it does is it gives them insurance. If Milan score, it goes to extra time rather than Milan sure. winning if they score. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but they still yeah they still have fifteen minutes to hold out. Uh, fifteen minutes and, plus uh, injury time. Uh, and they do, of course, Mark. And they 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 went through to the next round. Yeah, they they did where they were Mourinho'd and Porto'd <laughs> and it was um yeah it was probably a game they will have even though Porto had done very well to reach that semi-final stage and had won the UEFA Cup they and I think we'd soon to find out that you know those were all exceptional players or most of them were anyway within that team and you know they had a, a coach that was was about to become sort of the so-called special one but they Depor would have fancied their chances of winning um, mm. that that game, but it, it just it wasn't. Uh, Mourinho just shut them down completely. Um, knew what he was doing, frustrated the life out of them, mm-hmm. um, and then um, nicked it. And you know that 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 was the end really with the penalty of that run. Yeah, yeah, and you know they they Porto uh, Porto used tactics that were pretty close, I think, to what they used against Celtic in yeah. in the final. There was a lot of. Um, game management, I suppose you would call it. Um, Bloody frustrating that, for, for, <laughs> yeah. for others. <laughs> yeah, you know, if you wanted to watch, maybe if you wanted the more expressive team to go through, um, it, it was a frustrating sort of two legs, um, and they were never quite the same again. Really, that was. Um, I think I mentioned it earlier, but that what felt like the beginning of the end, really, for Deportivo. And of course, now you know they're in the third division in, in Spain and have yeah. suffered a few relegations. It just, um, you know, it, it was just a, a magical time for them that was, you know, was always unsustainable. I suppose. But it, I mean, it really is. It's, it's such a short period. I mean, in, in mm. '88, they they got a, a late win against Racing Santander to avoid relegation to the third division. They then end up being promoted in '91. And then they have 20 years in the top flight. They end up relegated in 2011. And it's all um, Lendoiro's money. And then he ends up leaving them 160 million euros in debt, which is why yeah, 10 years later they're still having problems. Mm. But what an extraordinary 20 years. when oh. yeah, they, 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 they miss out on the title in 94 because Dukic missed the last-minute penalty against Valencia. Oh. Yeah. They win the title again on the final day. Again, well, you know, Barcelona, the other team who could have won it that year, who had nicked it off him in '94, 
but they get they, that year they get the result against Espanyol that they need, and then they you know they they get the semi final of the Champions League and they they have whatever time was the most extraordinary comeback imaginable. I mean mm. you know it would be a normal Champions League week these days, but back then <laughs> it was sensational. Well, just to put that into context, in the, in the Guardian they wrote. Uh, Deportivo La Coruña last night performed one of the greatest feats in modern European football when they destroyed Milan, the defending champions and tournament favourites, with a four-goal four surge that defied mountainous odds. I mean, that's uh, to me that encapsulates it very well. But you because you, you can't uh, begin to sort of really describe how how incredible it was. Well, and also it's the fact it's Milan, right? So it's yeah. it's yeah, Serie A is the dominant league at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, even when La Liga was dominating European competition, because uh, certainly Barcelona and, and maybe to a lesser extent Real Madrid, but by reputation Real Madrid, their strength was perceived to be attacking. There was always a slight thought you could get at them. Nobody mm. thought you could get at Italian teams. No, you know, they still had that that the legacy of of, of Catanaccio that people thought. No, no, defensively they'll be sound. But I mean, you look at the defense; it's Nestor Maldini. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they they look bulletproof, you know that yeah. that that Milan side. Oh, it was oh, that's a lovely lovely link there because Pandiani, of course, was called the rifle, wasn't he? So, oh, there you are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, it, with Deportivo, one because I sometimes place them in that bracket where where Valencia sort of when they got to two European uh, Champions League finals, and you think, oh, there was that period when 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 they were great and you know, won the league and so on. But Valencia are still a big side in Spain. You know, they won the the Copa del Rey. That was it last year or certainly recently. You know, they've they're still there. We still see them in European competition. Whereas Deportivo, they shone very brightly and they've disappeared. <laughs> it's, um, it's, yeah, I mean, I, I was going to ask Jonathan actually about Irueta because we mentioned him um, sort of earlier on. I mean, somebody that had a lot of success at Depor, but sort of after you felt like that could have maybe been, you, you know, you felt like that could have been the start for him to then maybe go on and you know manage a bigger club or, um, and, or you know and have similar success if he was somebody that a bit of a pioneer in, in terms of tactics. But yeah, but I mean, he wasn't didn't young, really was happen he? for him. No, but I mean, I, I no, don't, no, I don't I know suppose. what age he'd have been, but I mean, he'd done really well with Celta Vigo, hadn't he? Taking Celta Vigo yeah. to eight, I think the the season before he got the Depor mm. job. Uh, I mean, yeah, if he 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 played in that seventy four European Cup final, so even he was mid twenties then. It means he's sort of mid fifties by by this stage. So, yeah, I think most managers only have one or two really big jobs in them. You know, a decade at the top is a long time. So, I, and I, I think his innovations. It was late nineties when he was innovative. I think by this stage, other people had sort of start to recognise that it's very hard then to build on that. So, he was he's maybe a slightly underappreciated coach because he did it at at a depot rather than at one of the two giants, but. But yeah, he 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 was the right coach for them at the time, and it yeah it didn't never quite work out for him after that. But he he was, I guess, coming to the end of his career. Yeah, but he presided over a glorious time uh, at Deportivo La Coruña, and it's Mark. It's been a real pleasure uh, talking to you about this one, a game that I I remember. But when you look at the finer detail, you think, blimey, that was actually more impressive uh, than than the memory had stored it away as. Yeah, I mean the the cast list of both teams or the mm. squad list, you know, I mean um, that that can't happen, can it? Really, um, <laughs> it, it just cannot. It, it still, you still think it can't happen, and and yet it, it did. Yeah, right. In the same way, when you look at the the, the lineups of the Champions League final, not that long after Liverpool versus AC Milan, I, I do wonder. I do wonder if 
there was something playing on Milan's mind yeah. um, in that Champions League final against Liverpool of, you know, this has happened to us before. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot of the same kind of players were still around then. Um, and, you know, I suppose you, you will be scarred um, by by that. Barcelona in recent Champions Leagues definitely have by the amount of times they've, mm-hmm. um, you know, had, had their sort of humiliations on the road. Yeah, I think certainly once the first goal went in, in Istanbul, I think it must have been there. And I know it's like there's only five minutes till the, the third one, but... It, it it must affect you when, especially given they seem to have have slipped into that thought process of it's one, yeah. and then suddenly it's oh god again. Yeah. Don't worry, <laughs> lads, we've got time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we are, ladies and gentlemen. I uh, hope you've enjoyed uh, this edition of Greatest Games on the Blizzard. For more stories like that, go to theblizzard.co.uk. Uh, we'll be back next week, of course, with another great game. But Mark, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Thank Absolute you. Absolute pleasure. Thank you, Jonathan. We'll see you next week. Thank you.